0: Welcome to Spin It, a business podcast that takes you into the lives of some of today's most influential leaders, entrepreneurs, game changers, athletes, and many more. On Spin It, we take a deep dive into the lives and journeys of our guests to deliver real, unfiltered, and unscripted conversations that will surely inspire hope and promote change. We focus not on their current success, but on the obstacles and challenges that they faced along the way that often doesn't get talked about. How they battled adversity getting up and being knocked down when all of the odds were stacked against them. Today, I get the distinct pleasure of speaking with the Mark Metry. If you have not heard of Mark or are not familiar with his work, you are in for a real treat. Mark's parents immigrated from Egypt. He is the first generation here in the US. Mark was so painfully shy due to various issues like mental health, social anxiety, and feeling like he just didn't quite fit in. However, Mark prevailed. Today, he is a Forbes-featured TEDx speaker, host of a Global Top 100 podcast, and a best-selling author, but that's not what I'm most excited to talk with Mark about. What I'm most excited about is who Mark is and how he consistently and constantly is giving back. He has dedicated his life of being of service to others by making an impact in the industries of mental health, career enablement, mindset, health and wellness, storytelling, and much more. I'm not sure I've interviewed such an inspirational 25-year-old he has been featured on over 250 podcasts and media like Forbes, Valley, Influensive, Inc. Magazine, HuffPost, Fearless Motivation, Spartan, and many others. He has also interviewed top names such as Tim Ferriss, NPR, Lewis Howes, and Gary Vaynerchuk. Please join me in welcoming Mark to Spin It. Hey, Mark! Thank you so much for joining. We are so so excited to have you. Thank you so
1: much for having me, and and good for you for starting this podcast. And um, yeah, I'm honored to be here and to uh,
0: to get a little bit more embarrassed now. I'm just <laughs> This is going to be so fun. I can't wait. So let's jump right in. So one of the things you know, I've been watching you over the last couple of years really just because you were so raw and you were so honest, and there were so many different connection points that I loved. The first thing was is that your dad won a lottery to get a green card to come to the US. Crazy enough, my father was accidentally born in Cairo, and migrated over when he was you know in early early adolescence I guess I'm first-generation here on both sides my mom was born in Portugal in the Azores and so when I was reading your story I was thinking gosh what an amazing thing for them to come over choose Boston and start raising mark and then I started reading more about your story and about the social anxiety and the autoimmune disorders so I really kind of want to go back to your childhood, if that's okay. Yeah,
1: sure. And wait, how was your dad accidentally born in Cairo?
0: They were traveling. So my family is actually from Iraq, right, 30 or 40 miles outside of Baghdad from a place mm. called Habania. My grandfather held some military status that, you know, he didn't really talk about after he got here. And he they were traveling and he was born there.
1: That's so interesting. That's so interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Cuz it's funny cuz whenever I say that they're like, "Oh, so you're Egyptian." And I was like, "No, it's kind of an accident." And, you know, do that.
1: <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. But yeah, I'm happy to go back to my childhood or whatever
0: please so so talk to me about your dad getting the lottery or winning the lottery for the green card talk to me about that
1: yeah you know so honestly it was something that I never really thought about and my parents they came to America like a a year before I was born and so for me, I was just kind of born in Cambridge and Boston. I mean, it was very interesting because, you know, I definitely have great memories like growing up and like, at first we lived like in the hood, uh, but there were a lot of cool people there. But it was just very interesting because although I didn't necessarily like in my early childhood face any kind of like bullying or discrimination yet, I still kind of felt like uh like an alien. You know, I kind of felt like, you know, whenever my parents would talk to me about Egypt, it would just be like, wait, what are you talking about? Because I didn't grow up there, you know? And so my grandparents, my family, I didn't really have that. And so, you know, it's definitely challenging and it's honestly still quite a challenge today, but it's interesting. And so, yeah, I mean, I just remember kind of just like living this life where just like me and my sister would just like hang out and we have like different friends and we'd like move to different apartment buildings, like every year, like many, many times. And so I remember things was always very very mobile and so yeah i mean other than that at least in the early early part of my childhood you know I, it was a great time i remember having like toys i'm sleeping on uh like a mattress on the floor with my sister you know so there's like these pictures so yeah i think it was very much sort of like that immigrant kind of like lifestyle where your parents are always working and you like live in all these small apartment buildings and you're moving around so it was definitely quite an interesting time that i kind of remember
0: it, was she younger or older than you
1: she's older she's older she's like uh six or seven years ahead of me
0: wow okay good so she was she was taking care of you at least along the way i have a younger brother so she's basically like my
1: second mom yeah yeah
0: (laughs) exactly exactly that's awesome so talk to me about the autoimmune disorder when did that happen and and how did you find out what 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 was the whole story around that
1: yeah so you know for just some context to kind of back up so you know, my family, were living this lifestyle. We're kind of living in like near the Boston area in different cities, towns surrounding it. And then basically, you know, my my parents sort of get better jobs and we move out into Western Massachusetts. And so we basically moved to this super small town, has like five, six, 7,000 people in it. What was really interesting is that, you know, there were a lot of cool people in that town, but, um, you know, let's just say there was, there was no racial diversity. And so I basically go there. Uh, nobody physically looks like me. This was post nine 11 in America. And so if you were any kind of, as you, I'm sure you know, if you're any kind of middle Eastern or whatever, that's where there was a lot of, you know, hatred. And so I'm basically like this kid who's in second, third grade. I moved to this new school. Nobody looks like me. All of a sudden I start getting discriminated against bullying against. And that is really where um, many things happened to me one social anxiety where I just sort of got stuck in this bubble in my head where I just became that shy kid. I stopped talking to people. I didn't really have any friends for like 10 years wasn't a part of any sports didn't do well in school really just like didn't talk to people straight up was was the kid who sat by himself in the lunch table like all all that stuff. And so right when that happened, that's also when my autoimmune issue also happened at the time so you know different stomach problems like I got my appendix taken out asthma skin issues so kind of like general autoimmune issues like that and so yeah they all kind of started at the same time from like second to third grade same with social anxiety and just moving to uh you know a new place that was uh very terrible very hostile and so that's kind of where it all began for me
0: so mark i asked this question because I, I have an autoimmune disorder as well and the doctors swear that it was brought on by stress do you think that yours was brought on at such an early age being in a new environment and being so stressed out
1: hundred thousand percent i don't think that's probably the only thing of course but yeah i mean from what i understand you know and i'm not a doctor but you know your immune system is closely connected to this thing called your gut microbiome yeah. and basically your gut microbiome from my awareness there are really two main ways that your gut microbiome faces the most amount of stress. And the first one is facing some sort of, uh, you know, psychological trauma, which is what I face with social anxiety and social humiliation. But then the number two is eating junk food. And so I was doing both of those things. And so I absolutely think that um, whether it was stress or whether it was my lifestyle, huge, huge impact, you know, because once your brain experiences that it sends a message to your gut and then your gut is directly connected to your immune system and then it sort of turns on itself and then it starts to create all these other issues that a lot of people don't think are connected but i absolutely think for a lot of people they're they're connected so i definitely think it's not just you know stress but i think it's also like a, a deeper layer of stress either just from day-to-day stuff or any you know Uh, big things, so to speak, that happened in your past. I think that that's all connected. When
0: you were spending all this time alone, I mean, I think it's, you know, suffice to say you were an introvert. When you're spending all this time alone, Mark, what were you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I really want to get down to what you were doing. Maybe that's a different podcast. (laughs) No,
1: no, no. I mean, I definitely did some good and some bad things for sure. Um, You know, I mean, in terms of so what I was doing is that, you know, what's interesting is that I don't, when I think of myself, I honestly don't really think of myself as an introvert. And that's why, because like, for example, before I moved, you know, I really was an introvert. Maybe I was some of the times I definitely like doing kind of like creative things by myself. But, you know, for me, it's almost kind of like the same thing, like social anxiety. It's almost like the same thing as, um you know, having like an autoimmune issue where it's basically like, now your body and your brain is reacting in a way where you don't have any control of, you know? And so for me, It's not really because I, I I like wanted to be by myself. It's just because my brain and my nervous system just got me to do that. And so, and so for me, I was by myself, but I didn't really want to be by myself. And I say that because at this time, you know, when I was kind of around this age, the internet and kind of social media was like sort of first starting to pick up. And I was, I was into video games. And so for me, I remember having like a, like an urge and a motive to try to connect with people online, try to connect with people through video games, you know? And so I remember, you know, being like 12, 13, starting like a YouTube channel. I remember learning all these different skills, like how to to make websites, how to make like iPhone apps. I started to like, record myself playing video games and put them on YouTube and I had this YouTube channel that had like 35,000 subscribers back in like 2011 and I like launched all these different side hustles and most of them failed but some of them became successful and so for me I was just like literally just like inside all day trying to hustle and 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 now that I know kind of what I understand now is that um you know, a lot of people ask me like, you know, how did you become successful at a young age? And it's just like, I didn't even think about it. I was just like literally taking all of my trauma and like all of my anxiety and my need to connect with people and just like basically sacrificing the mental health that I already have for like this urge to not just connect with people, but also, you know, like my family was not really that, uh, you know, well off, but yet the small town that I lived in, It was pretty affluent and so i sort of felt like an outsider because of kind of who i was and my skin color and where i come from but then also because of my socioeconomic status and so i kind of had this thing in the back of my head that was just like hustle 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 like if you make money then you'll be successful and i remember there was this time when i was about like 15 16 where you know some of my little side hustles started to pop off and I started making six figures. I started making hundreds of thousands of dollars, which totally changed my life, my family's life. But it also was very confusing too, because I started to realize like, oh, what everybody told me to do, I did it, doesn't really give me a feeling of success, you know, and so, so that happened, you know, and so it's kind of good, it's kind of bad. But um either way I'm glad that it happened and I'm glad that I was able to, you know, at least do that, then do drugs, you know, so <laughs>
0: Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna keep that clip all the way until then to show my 11-year-old who just wants to live online. We'll cut that part.
1: <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't do drugs either, you know, so. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. So Mark, before we move on to talk about, you know, your depression in 2016 that you very openly talk about, what what was your parents like? What, what was your relationship with them like?
1: Sure, that's a great question. So, man, what a question. Um, I mean, I always remember, you know, like my parents always, um, you know, Loving me supporting me, you know, I remember there was this time where kind of like my whole social anxiety thing started and uh, I remember my parents, you know, they would kind of like ask me what was wrong or like what was happening and I remember, you know, there were moments where they would like go to the school and like try to report something but you know, nothing really happened. And, and what's really interesting is that, um, you know, one of the worst parts about social anxiety and, and people who really experience social anxiety, not just people who kind of experience the everyday socially anxious moment or are a kind of introverts, but people like me who like, literally couldn't talk to people. One of the things that's interesting is that it starts off with like one group or it starts off in one place. Uh, Like for me, it was school. But then unfortunately, social anxiety, it's sort of like this all-encompassing virus that eventually goes to every area of your life. And so unfortunately, like as I sort of start to grow up, you know, this social anxiety, went to my family went to my sister went to you know some of the close friends that i had and it was you know really terrible you know and so i honestly kind of feel like all my relationships were all messed up because of that you know unfortunately and so you know, my parents always supported me and, and I think, um, you know, by far, probably the best thing that my parents ever did for me was um, I didn't get good grades. You know, my parents told me you have to, you know, at first when I was younger, like, oh, yeah, you have to be a doctor, you have to be an engineer. And then I was yes. like, oh, crap. Very I'm, Middle I'm like, Eastern. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, Through my grades, I was like, there's no way in hell I could, I could possibly do that. I wasn't really good at school. I wasn't good at sports. I really wasn't good at anything. And so, you know, I always, my parents never told me that they were like, man, at me or upset with me or or disappointed in me but i kind of feel like i had that subconsciously and i also think i didn't really accept or love myself too so i think that's a big part of it and then i think in when i was about 18 like right after or like right as i was coming out of uh you know my whole uh you know depression that you mentioned there's this let's say a conversation (laughs) with my family my parents uh, a little bit of a small conflict and i just remember you know towards the end of it they basically told me like you know mark no matter what you do with your life, no matter who you are as a person, no matter who you become, you know, you're always going to be our son and we're always going to love you no matter what. And I remember when I heard that, that like totally changed my life. And maybe they told me that before in the past, but I feel like that was really the first time where they kind of consciously told me that and, you know, completely changed my relationship with my parents. So I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, I I asked that question a little selfishly because I remember, you know, I mean, you think for for my family, for we didn't we didn't have anything we we were very you know we struggled economically a ton and they were very conscious about where money was going and you know I say this all the time and this is not a knock at all like I mean my grandparents were amazing and they, they crushed it they really did a lot of stuff here they they did an amazing job especially raising 13 kids so they did a lot exactly uh, we oh know what God. they did in their off time um, so so, so the reason why I ask you that is I asked that pointed for you is I couldn't really talk to my grandparents about depression or anxiety or fear. Like they would just literally, I mean, they. I don't think they were mean about it. I think they were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway, just, you know, go do this. This is what you need to do. Here's your task list. I don't think it really clicked for them because they never had, they didn't have the opportunity to be sad or depressed. They had like mm. real big, massive things happening in that country that it didn't matter if they were depressed because they most likely wouldn't make it out. So when you were talking to them about whatever conflict or whatever depression or whatever sadness that we're going to talk about now, do you think they even understood or they were just like, come on, Mark, snap out of it?
1: It's a great question. And and honestly, the, the, the way I'd answer it is like, I didn't even have any idea. So like, even when I was going through it, I had no idea. I just oh, thought that I was like stupid. Like, I just straight up thought that like every time when I would try to talk to someone or whatever, and then all of a sudden my body's fight or flight would trigger and my mind would go blank and I'd start sweating. I just thought that was like life. I like literally had no idea that social anxiety or any of this stuff was real really until when I was 18 and, you know, I become seriously depressed and I become obese and I become suicidal. Then I, when I sort of see my brain break in front of me, then that's where I'm like, Oh snap. I think mental health is just kind of real, you know? And so I honestly didn't even have those conversations because I didn't even know, you know? And so right. it's interesting. And I, I, the point about your grandparents is so interesting because i think a lot of the times like they you know again i I can't talk for anybody or specifically but i think a lot of times they do face depression and anxiety or whatever but they just like, like brute force it. Like they just bleed and burn through it, you know? And so, um, I think that's an issue. And then I also think obviously there is, there's a correlation between, you know, like wealthier societies and, and, and having time and, and, you know, you know, and so I, I definitely agree with you on that part. So I think it's kind of both of those of like, everyone kind of deals with it, but it's just like, Who cares? Because this dictator is about to kill people. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's exactly. So I think it's it's both of those. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I remember. I remember you 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 literally nailed it. Like I remember having this conversation, and I was trying to figure out because, like you said, I didn't really have it all figured out, but I was trying to tell them like I didn't feel like I fit in, or I didn't feel Mm. like I felt like not the same as my cousins, and I felt like I was trying to explain this to them, and my grandfather basically came back with, and and he wasn't mean. But he was just very right. emphatic and he was just like, we left children to die that had TB and we took off because the Turks were chasing it. And I was like, wait, how does that correlate? Like, I remember just like not, no, know- wait, can you back up one second? I don't know what this means. And he was like, you know, depression is a choice. And I was like, what, is, what does that mean? And so I just, I often wonder, cause you know, we have a, you and I, you could be my, you could be my son. And so I think about it, you know, from my grandparents age, you know, and then your parents' age, okay, I think about them, and I wonder if anything has changed, but it sounds like, other than being really loving for what they knew how to do, and just continue to reassure you, Mark, we love you no matter what, you know, we're going to love you, kind of gave you a little bit of room to explore who you were going to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you nailed it on the head, so.
0: So let's talk about, in 2016, you said that you were, you were very depressed. Um, I've listened to to several of your interviews, and you went through, <laughs> you went through, you know, talking about why food was just a very big comfort for you. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I it kind of started to happen towards the end of 2015. And, you know, it, it sort of got triggered because it's actually sort of when I started to realize that social anxiety was a thing. And so I sort of start to realize that, oh, social anxiety is a thing. And I think like a lot of people in that scenario, I was just like, hey, let me try to make friends. Let me try to talk to people. Let me try to challenge myself out of it. Right. And as I tried to do that, I basically saw myself fail where I would like try to have these conversations with people, I would try to make friends, but then there would just be like this deep seated part of me that just no matter how hard I tried, it just wouldn't change. And so it basically kind of gave me this feeling of like, oh crap, I'm gonna be stuck like this forever. I'm, I'm stuck. And so when I experienced that, it made me just very hopeless. And I was just like, oh man, this is just gonna be my life forever. And so when that happened, very, very painful. And it kind of made me feel like there really wasn't any purpose to kind of live life because I didn't really feel like I was living my life because I wasn't really the person who I was, or at least who I was meant to be deep down. And so, you know, for me, like my parents always taught me, Mark, don't do drugs, alcohol, things like that. And so for me, when it came to like how I'm going to abuse, it was through food. Right. And I remember, Mm -hmm. you know, growing up, I wasn't necessarily ever like overweight. Maybe I was, you know, maybe I had some minor issues, but not really. But I always kind of used food now looking back at it as a drug, you know, where I'd get out of school and I would go through like the Dunkin Donuts drive through and I'd get like all these donuts and I'd get like all this stuff really as a way to just sort of like feel anything, um, you know, and feel any kind of sense of pleasure. And so for me, yeah, like you said, food was like probably my biggest drug of choice. And like, it's crazy. Like I, I would wake up in the morning and, uh, you know, I would eat breakfast somewhere, I'd eat like a breakfast sandwich. And then I'd, you know, eat lunch and I'd eat again and I'd eat again, I'd like order so much takeout. And I remember I was like, I remember there was like weeks where I was spending like literally just on myself. Like I was spending like a thousand, two thousand $2,000 on takeout straight up. Like that, that, that's how much I was eating. And then like every, every night at 3 a.m. we would get like all this stuff. And so that just sort of happened. I just like sort of started to eat sort of my feelings away. And there were other things that I did too. But I was just like in this, what I call like a trance where I just like, I didn't really realize it was happening. And there's this, um, there's this quote that you may have heard me say, it's, you know, you can't see the picture when you're the person in the frame. And so for me, I was just like living life. I was doing it. And the next thing I knew, I sort of, you know, realized that I was overweight. Next thing I knew I couldn't really go to sleep at night. I couldn't really wake up in the morning. My lifelong social anxiety sort of transformed into, like social isolation, I stopped talking to my family, stopped talking to any of the friends that I did have. There was a period where I almost like flunked out of college. And so I just started facing all these problems and next thing I know, as I can't really go to sleep, next thing I know I I like really just experienced my brain breaking where I just like become some zombie version of myself even worse than I was before. And I'm basically just like I need to just like end this as soon as possible, somehow, because I was in so much pain. And, and nobody really taught me what to do. Nobody gave me tools, anything like that. And so I remember, you know, I would just basically, you know, the area where I was living in in Boston, it was it was a fine area, but um, I remember it was on like the border of a not so great area and i remember we'd always get like these college alerts on our phone of like hey don't go, go don't go down this street there's been like a shooting there's been like a mugging this gang stuff and so i was just basically like you know what let me just try to walk in those not so safe neighborhoods at nighttime and just like straight up just fantasize about somebody walking up to me and trying to mug me and kill me. And I did that for about like, I think three weeks, three, four weeks, like every night. And it's truly insane to look back on now. I can't, I can't believe that happened. And you know, different things happen on different nights. Um, but, but really it was sort of like this, um, this process, I definitely, obviously I don't recommend anybody do it, but it was just really like this process that my brain sort of involuntarily put itself in to try to end life. But I remember on one of those nights I, you know, had, like, I remember I was walking through Boston and, um, I came across this area where I was walking across a bridge and it was a bridge on like one of those interstate highways. And so normally speaking. During the day there's like all kinds of cars. It's always busy. There's always noise And I'm like walking in the middle of this bridge and I'm just looking down the entire time because that's how I used to walk And I remember just all of a sudden like hearing Silence like it was almost kind of like someone took a remote control and like could hit the mute button Where's almost just like such a weird sense of eerie silence where I was like I remember looking up and sort of just looking around and I remember I kind of felt like I was the only person on earth It was a very weird feeling And I remember in that moment, I got a very small moment of clarity, where I basically realized like what I was doing. And I realized I was just like, like, wait, what, like, what the hell am I doing? And I started to think, like, why am I doing this? And I was basically like, okay, nobody really told me to, to do this. So like my, I'm feeding this to myself. And I started thinking, like, wait, why am I doing this? Like, I don't necessarily think that I deserve to die. And so why is my brain sort of telling me that this is the only option? And so when that happened, basically now that I look back is I started to really distinguish myself, my true self versus kind of just like my automatic brain, which is really a result of like my past traumas and stresses that were unresolved. And so I remember when I kind of had like that micro moment of clarity, I remember just like running back to my dorm room and I remember running back and kind of going upstairs and then walking in. I remember going to the bathroom and I remember going to the bathroom and there was like this you know, huge mirror. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and I remember making kind of eye contact with myself. And all of a sudden I sort of start to realize that like my waist, uh, like the, the pants that I was wearing, I was wearing jeans. All of a sudden I started to realize like, wait, wh- why do my pants feel so tight? And I remember looking at myself in the mirror. And and realizing like, wait, I I didn't buy any skinny jeans. I don't wear skinny jeans. And so in that moment, I sort of realized that over like two, three months, I had like gained like over 90 pounds. And I was sort of, you know, obese. And I sort of realized like, oh, crap, like I'm in the middle of something that I didn't even know I was in and, and all this stuff. And so really, when that started to happen, that's really where I sort of had this moment where I was just like, you know, it's not like I was like, Hey, I'm going to change my life. I had this moment where I was just like, I don't know what the hell just happened, but let me just try to figure things out. And at that time, when I kind of saw myself in the mirror, the one objective that I kind of could see was in physical, you know, reality as I didn't know what mental health was or or spirituality or any of that stuff. And so I was like, Hey, let me just try to lose weight. And that for me was like the beginning. That was like the first like domino that I kind of flicked that then led me on this crazy journey to like understanding mental health and social anxiety and then recovering from that and rewiring my mind and my brain and so yeah it was definitely a crazy story for sure and it it, yeah it it like all happened towards the end of 2015 and then you know after that I, I moved back in with my parents I kind of had the whole conversation that I told you about and then for example too I also traveled to Egypt and when I traveled to Egypt and I met my family and, you know, I started to really gain perspective. I started to like really realize like, oh shit, like my, my parents came from this country to like, I remember, uh, this was in 2016, you know, so Egypt had just come out of like this whole revolution yeah. with like multiple governments and all this stuff. And I remember my cousins were telling me like, yeah, we can't find jobs. There was this dude who came to our neighborhood with an AK and like all, all this stuff that all this crazy stuff. And so I remember at the end of that trip, really just thinking about like where I was the 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 opportunity really that I was given, and I started to realize like especially the fact of you know my parents leaving Egypt, but then also going through like what I went through, whether it was in terms of uh you know like being poor, but then also going through mental and physical health issues, and then coming out of that, I was like oh crap like I, I've got a I've got sort of like a mission that I've got to start doing things that are more important than just like making money or, or feeling cool, you know, and so that was really kind of the the start of it, and so. Uh, i'm definitely glad it happened it definitely sucks that it you know happened but it was definitely like a, you know rock bottom what do they call it like dark night of the soul and so i definitely I'm, i'm i'm grateful to have the privilege to have experienced that at 18 because it definitely you, you know woke me up for sure
0: so i want to point that out really quick about how young you were and how quickly you gained that perspective but the actual pain that you were feeling i want to talk about that a little more and the reason why is because This last year and a half, I've had four very, very, very dear, dear friends lose children in the house by their own hand and i mean as you well know the the guilt and the shame because like how does that happen right next door like how am i such a good dad or how am i such a great mom and i don't see this immense pain on this person who's you know bright and funny and sweet and caring and charming and all of these things okay mark just you know you know okay what is the one thing and you can think about it for a second what is the one thing if anything at all that somebody could have called before you had this kind of enlightenment, okay, somebody could have called and could have asked, or come, somebody could have called and said to you that maybe would have made you feel a little bit better.
1: That's a great question, and um, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, and you know, unfortunately, I I hear stuff like that every day. It sucks, but um, you know, I'm honestly not sure. You know, I think one thing for me that I think was really uh, impactful is that. Uh, You know uh, my my best friend michael someone who i kind of like grew up with you know as a as a kid i remember when i was kind of in the middle of my um suicidal i don't know experiments i remember there was this moment where like you know he tried to reach out to me we were trying to hang out and we like set a day we set a time to do something and i remember when that day and time came i was just like i don't really want to see anybody you know and so i remember i texted him i was like dude i'm sorry something came up i don't really feel like it we do this some other later time. And I remember, and he didn't really know what I was going through at the time. Nobody really knew. And I remember he basically came to my dorm room and he basically just sat downstairs, like in the bench. That's right outside the building. And he just would call me just straight up. And he'd tell me like, Mark, I'm literally not going to leave here until you at least come down and just talk to me. And like, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to see anybody. Nobody just talk to me. And I remember I did that. And um, I honestly think that really saved my life. Uh, looking back at it because it kind of gives you that feeling of just like, you know, people care and they're not going to leave you. Right. And I think it's a really difficult conversation to have because I think everyone is surrounded by different people and different cultures and different environments. But what I would say too, is that like, one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, suicide is not a rational decision. And I say that because suicide is really caused by what I think is, is a, it's a disease in your brain. So the same way that your immune system shuts itself down and starts attacking your good bacteria, like in an autoimmune disorder, the same exact thing is happening in your brain, but with yourself and your identity. And so I've learned that and that's why, you know, I don't really like when people say things, I hear it all the time of like, oh, you know, depression is a choice and all these different things. And it's like, imagine you have like heart disease and and yeah of course there's a lot of different lifestyle factors you can do and of course you can change it but imagine you have like heart disease and someone's having like a heart attack and you're just like hey like hey life is fine it's just like or Or you
0: should have eaten better or hey you know what right you're having a heart attack gosh i really wish you would have eaten better like how is that helpful
1: yeah and it's like literally like the the organ itself is like executing this sort of function, and and the thing that i've learned is like it sometimes it has to do with you but a lot of times it doesn't really have to do with you and like what i mean say that is because obviously you know it's your life obviously there's many different factors but i think the one thing that someone would have told me is just like your brain is basically like a, a supercomputer that essentially like captures the way it thinks life is going to work in the first like 10 years. And then it creates this inner model of the world and your perception. And then it just basically plays that perception in your life. And that's what happens to you every single day of the week. And depending on, you know, what happens in that organ, the same way with your heart, it may be dysfunctional, you know? And so for me, I kind of look at mental health as that, because of course, I mean, there were things you know, that I did wrong and so on and so forth. But um, I think it was largely sort of this idea of like, it's a brain disease. And, and then the other thing that I would say too, is that one of the One of the realizations that I kind of had after I kind of went through this was that aside from what I just said of it being a brain disease, what I've also realized is that, and you know, listen to the whole thing before you judge me, but the urge to commit suicide, it's actually not a bad thing. And what I mean by that is this, what your mind is trying to figure out to do, your mind is trying to figure out how do we become a different person to live in the reality that we're actually in. And so for me, I was never taught tools and how to actually do that in a healthy way. And so for me, my brain was like, Hey, you know, you're sort of not yourself. People who experience social anxiety, they don't act like themselves. And a lot of times it creates self-esteem issues, self-confidence issues. And so one of the things that my mind was trying to figure out, was like, how do I end this version of Mark? Because it's not working anymore. And so I think, you know, on the mind side, I think the urge to commit suicide, again, obviously it's a horrible thing. I don't, I don't mean to make light of it, but I think that urge is not a bad thing. And I think if you take that urge and you're able to put it into understanding like oh there's actually a healthy constructive way to actually change who you are and be the real person who you are inside to the rest of the world without needing to kill yourself because that's you know that doesn't that's that's not going to accomplish what you want to do and so i think those two things or those three things rather you know of my best friend not not telling me that he's there of like literally just being there and like not you know like basically forcing me to at least talk to him that I think is very important because I think we live in a day and age where, you know, mental health is sort of becoming mainstream, it's becoming popular and everyone says like, Hey, call the suicide hotline or go see a doctor, or go see professional help and all these different things. I, I don't really know if that works, you know, I don't really necessarily know if that gives people a sense of support. Because I think a lot of the times, like when I was experiencing that, I didn't even know what mental health was. I I never thought I'd be one of these people. And so I think when someone tells you to like, go see a doctor or go see a therapist or go see, you know, call the suicide hotline or something like that, while those may be, you know, good tools, you know, if you're talking to someone who at least was in my position, they're gonna be like, you're just telling me that so I can stop being a headache for you and you wanna put me in this label. And I think it actually makes for some people worse, you know, and so that's why for me, like when I wrote my book, A lot of my book is based around a lot of things I talk about is based around, you know, things that you can do by yourself to get the ball rolling, because I think the unfortunate reality, and I wish this wasn't true, is that, yeah, there are a lot of people that can help you. There's an entire world and an entire universe out there of resources and and people and stories that if you knew it would totally change your life for the better. But then also realistically speaking there's a lot of bad things that can happen you know if you tell someone you're suicidal or, or you're depressed and they don't have the reaction you're looking for it actually makes things a lot worse uh, and i've seen it happen all the time and so i think it's a very it's a very delicate it's a very nuanced conversation that i hope our society gains more awareness around because you know like if you live in a modern country you're more likely to kill yourself than to be killed by somebody or something else. So
0: there's so many things that you touched on that are really, really important, but in order for us to have time and talk about your book, I need to move on. But before we move on to to LinkedIn, I wanna talk about what ended up kind of getting you through. Did Did you seek therapy? I saw a lot about exposure therapy. Can you tell the listeners what exposure therapy is? Was this your idea? Was this your friend's idea? Like, just tell us how you kind of got to the other side.
1: Yeah, so I mean, obviously it was a very long process, and I'm sure people can just look up my name and get it. But yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, I didn't really see a therapist or a doctor. I did see a doctor, but I, I didn't necessarily take their advice. And then I only, you know, saw like a psychotherapist like like a year or two down the road. But for me, I would say some of the biggest things that helped me was, you know, one of like. For example, just connecting more with like my family, my parents, my you know background and just like realizing who I was. And then I think number two is like really understanding that suicide is a, is a brain disease and me starting to figure out tools that I can use to recover my brain. And so for me, that looked like this concept called nutritional psychiatry, which involves a lot around your gut microbiome, going to sleep. I always had sleeping problems my entire life and uh, they've done crazy studies on social anxiety suicide and sleep and so i basically really just started to eat you know i started to eat in a different way i started to sleep in a different way Uh, i started to go outside and and connect with certain people in a certain way i started to learn i started to understand that uh, everything is a skill and everything is learnable and you're one skill away from learning and unlocking a new part of life and then yeah in terms of exposure therapy basically what that is is There's four different layers of social anxiety. And basically what you do is you go into each of these layers and essentially what you do is you systematically expose uh, incrementally yourself to each one of these fears. So for example, um, one of these layers is people will get socially anxious around their physical appearance. Okay. And so for me, one of the things that I would, you know, sort of develop social anxiety around was not just my skin color, growing up in a community where nobody looked like me, but it was also around my clothes because I, you know, I, like I told you, my parents didn't really have much money. And I remember just going to school every day with like the same clothes. And I remember sort of being bullied and, and everyone else was like wearing all these cool clothes and, every, and I always felt left out. And so I had this layer of my clothes around social anxiety. And so what I would do and, and bef- I'm sorry, before I get into this, I just wanna leave a disclaimer. If, you're, if you have social anxiety and you've never done anything or you're sort of not on a plan to recover from social anxiety, I highly do not, do not recommend to start off with exposure therapy because you're not gonna get great results. But anyway, um, so one of the things that I did was I would basically wear the craziest clothes on purpose. And so for example, what I would do is I bought like a a bright pink neon cowboy hat. I bought like bright pink neon, a tight shirt, tight shorts. And I would literally go to the mall, the most crowded place. And I would literally just walk there. And if you have social anxiety in your brain, your brain is telling you that everyone is looking at you and everyone's making fun of you. But then when you walk in with those pink clothes, everyone really is looking at you. Everyone you know might be giggling and laughing. And so when you experience that, you know, I mean, obviously it depends on where you are in your country, I guess, but nothing bad is really gonna happen. And so when you go through that experience, it basically deconditions your brain to be like, oh, we don't have to be socially anxious around our physical appearance in this regard. And so basically there's many different layers to it, but you go in and and you do this systematically. And yeah, again, I don't recommend people doing it at first, but you know, that was really huge. And yeah, the last thing that I'll say is that I think if I had to say three things that helped me the most with social anxiety, it was nutritional psychiatry slash the gut microbiome. It was uh, doing mindfulness meditation every day. And then it was exposure therapy. Those three things, I think, probably have the highest ROI uh, when it comes to a lot of people who kind of face the same issues that I faced. Do
0: you know Naveen Jain?
1: Of course. He's my homie.
0: Oh, is he really? Oh, I love yeah. Naveen. He was just on the show like not too long ago. He is he's just a doll. I love him with all my heart, but I, that's where I got really, that's where I really got focused on, on, you know, your microbiome. I got really focused on, I actually met him. We were speaking together and I had never even known about this Mark. And he was so kind and, and intelligent. And he actually walked me through the entire process himself. And not till later did I actually know who it was <laughs> and I was like oh yeah I probably oh, yeah that's yeah so I was on his
1: podcast I met him in Seattle and he invited me on his podcast he's a great guy and uh, and yeah his so company great. Viome yeah I highly recommend it
0: yeah, yeah absolutely that's awesome so Mark I want to move on I want to talk about LinkedIn when I saw this stat I literally almost fell over <laughs> your thoughts views podcasts and videos have been viewed over 50 million times how does that make you know it's honestly
1: higher i i need to update i haven't updated in a while i have like a number somewhere i have to check but that hasn't been updated like probably like two years so
0: oh wow (laughs) yeah can you give me that new number again
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i'll definitely give it to you i'm not sure but i would i would probably say probably like double that by now maybe maybe like 75 i'm not sure
0: yeah that's i mean i just i couldn't even believe that because you're a giant influencer you're you're very well regarded but 50 million times and then you say maybe double that okay 100 million that really shows how many people that you're really truly resonating with. That really shows how many people are really needing to hear this message. How were you able to build off your success with, you know, mm. with YouTube first and then kind of moving right along?
1: Yeah, you know, for me, uh, you know, my po- I started my podcast before I got on LinkedIn, but it was really at the same time, and so yeah, you know, I I kind of like lived in like this LinkedIn golden age, so to speak, where. I I was just like every I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just like every day recording a video, putting it on LinkedIn, uh, using my podcast to promote it, getting all these big guests. And yeah, I mean, um, it's really interesting when you say like that, because, yeah, I mean, a lot of the times I'm just like, you know, sort of just like on my phone, you know, and then you you see different numbers and it doesn't really resonate. But then, for example, like, you know, like last month, you know, being at like a restaurant with my girlfriend in Boston and then someone walking up to me like, hey, are you Mark being at the mall with my parents and then someone walking up to me and like telling me their entire life story on how like they lost their job and they found my content on LinkedIn and then all this. And so it's honestly very surreal. I don't think I've really wrapped my head around it fully. But I think what's just like the most important thing is that, um, you know, I live and I kind of realized this a while ago. Uh, sort of before like the internet became mainstream and everyone was just saying it was just like a fad or it was just like for silly games or kids, I like basically realized that um, you know I have an opportunity and and we, all of us really have an opportunity to you know do something that literally nobody could you know unless you were like like straight up like Alexander the Great like you conquered the world or unless you were like Jesus you know we're at a spot where like you could literally reach millions of people and have exponential growth and of course there's pros of course there's cons to that but i think you just have to like kind of realize the moment in history that we're in and then just realize like you know what's the most important thing to you you know and and for me personally like what gets me up in the morning like my favorite currency so to speak is when people you know tell me that i impacted their lives in some way shape or or form you know because i remember being 18 and feeling like I had nobody and nobody to help. And so the fact that I can be some sort of a small help to someone who was in my previous journey, that's just like for me, like that's just like what makes the world go round, you know, because, you know, the only reason why I'm really here is because of my parents. And if my parents didn't do what they did, then I wouldn't be here. And if 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 I didn't listen to this thing or if I didn't hear, this, I wouldn't be where I am. And so for me, it's just like I think we're all um, co-conspirators and really everybody's evolution. And I think the world is so small and it's, it's gotten to that point where, you know, really just depends who you listen to, you know, and, and, and some people like social media, some people they don't like social media, some people use it for this reason for that. And so everyone has like a different philosophy and, and view and, and use and utility for it. And, um, you know, I think some of those are good. I think some of them are bad. But I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to like, realizing the opportunity in the moment in history that we're in, and then just realizing like, you know, what's your favorite currency? Like, why do you do what you do? And then how can you use that and sort of like plug in? to like this bigger system to hopefully do what you're doing and make it bigger and better and reach more people so I don't even know if I answered your question yeah you did
0: you did (laughs) was it hard for you especially with all of the things that were going on Mark and all the things Mm. you had come from was it hard for you to show up on all these different platforms so vulnerable and so authentic
1: you know honestly not really because I was already doing it in my real life you know and so for me like I always believe that Uh, you always have to do things offline before you bring them online, you know? And so for me, I was already dealing with my social anxiety. And so when it came to just like recording something, it wasn't a big deal. And honestly, in all truth, it's probably harder now because the more people, you know, the bigger your network is like sometimes like, you know, for example, like my podcast is probably like probably my biggest uh, channel that gets like the most amount of millions of listens, you know, sometimes I have moments where I'm just like, I'm going to put this out there and. 10,000 people are going to listen to this today alone just today or maybe tomorrow you know there's still like that five percent social anxiety part of my brain that's like oh what yeah. you know what if this person thinks that and so it honestly becomes harder i think as you go and so i think that's why it's so important to honestly just have like a beginner's mindset to always be like this is day mm. one i'm doing this for the right reason and so yeah it's honestly become harder now than it was when i first started
0: <laughs> okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna blow this now see now i'm super nervous to like say any of the stats that i have like now i'm having anxiety the one thing i know <laughs> (laughs) for sure is you're in the top 100 podcasts and your podcast has been listened to over how many millions of times i mean you founded a podcast accelerator you've done so much around podcasting and and me being you know fairly new at this game this it's not easy it's very 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 difficult to choose the right guests to be able to keep a consistent message to be able to the whole reason why i started it because i i had no desire to start it at all um I didn't want to add to the noise. I wanted to like n- not be a part of the the noise and I wanted to impact and inspire people and everybody was like podcast, podcast, podcast. It's hard, mark, how many yeah. millions of people
1: i'm gonna send you a screenshot right now thirty six million eight hundred ninety nine seven hundred twenty two
0: that's so here's crazy number one, crazy is you didn't know, okay, which I love I just love that so much, okay, and then number two. You're so incredibly humble about it. What did you want your listeners to take away from your podcast and why did you start it?
1: It's a great question. And and honestly, in terms of the whole humble part, it's just like when you get to sit down with like, you know, people that are exponentially way more successful than you like, for example, Jay Shetty, he has a top five podcast, right? And when I got to sit down with him before COVID in New York City for like over an hour and a half, and you just see how... Like this is a person who has this platform. And then you really start to realize how if you're not humble, you're basically screwed. Because your ego gets too big. I mean, your ego gets to the big so big to the point where you don't really feel like you're even living a real life. And for me, like as someone who grew up with a very low sense of self esteem, I don't really have a problem with, with being humble. Or maybe I do because I answered it that way. But um yeah, I mean, so for me in terms of my podcast, like it's funny because I straight up started my podcast to just help myself. And it was a time where I was I was turning twenty, or I was twenty at the time. And I was basically just like, yo, life is really hard. Like, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I was facing problems left and right. And so I was just like, I need to just be able to sit down with people who actually know what they're talking about in the world. And there's no way that people are going to give me their time who are at that level. If I'm just like, Hey, can I pick your brain? You know? And so for me, I started my podcast, not as like a marketing thing, or I'm like some host and people need to learn about my opinion or I'm smart. It was just straight up like, Hey guys, like, this is just like my self-development system. We're just like every week, whatever topic I was interested about, whether it was meditation or nutrition it gave me the avenue to be able to actually get like that real world data from the experts and the leaders you know and so that's it and then also too you know like the first podcast that i had humans 2.0 that really became you know like a, a psychological uh i don't even know how to say like a psychological alter ego and like a metaphor for not just me but for thousands of people and so for example like as i was changing my life the reason why i called it humans 2.0 is because i kind of realized that you know i think within all of us there's sort of like this default human 1.0 version that you know has been afflicted with traumas and pains and and they had a certain card that was dealt in life but we all have an option to kind of go to like human to a human 2.0 and i was kind of in the spot in my life where i saw myself doing that and so i was like hey if i did this then anybody can do it and, and what's interesting is that that really became like a like a psychological metaphor that i started to use to really push myself into so many different situations where i was uncomfortable where i feel like i wasn't ready But then the thing is that eventually I became that person. So I don't really have to think about it. And, and it's, it's funny because I meet other people too, who tell me like the same thing of like, I like use this concept as like a, um, as like almost like a Trojan horse within myself to sort of like, you know, do it. But also while not trying to like fake being somebody else or fake somebody who you're not, but to like tap into a deeper part of you that you always know is there. And so, yeah, I mean, that for me was, it's kind of like a, like a thesis of just like, Hey, let me put this out there in the world. And it's, it's cool, you know? So it's, it's very interesting. Thank you for asking me that question.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Who has been your most favorite guest that you've had on?
1: Naveen Jain is definitely up there for sure. I would honestly say, I think uh, a person already mentioned Jay Shetty, you know, it was, um, it was like one of the last in-person interviews I did before COVID. And before this last, you know, two year, you know, hellstorm. And it was interesting because. I remember learning from Jay Shetty through Facebook videos in 2016. Yes. And so for me to be like sitting in my college dorm room, just like trying to live my life and then learning about this guy Jay Shetty to then meeting him and doing an interview with him. And I remember when like when I first met him, I was kind of like introducing myself and he was just like, dude, I know who you are. I, I follow your content on LinkedIn all the time. And, and he like started referencing and I was like, Oh shit. Like I was like, Oh damn, you know? And so it was kind of like a great moment where it was just sort of like, yeah. again, like full circle where I was just like, wow, you know, I started off like this, but then now, you know, I have, you know, one of my, you know, someone who was my idol now, kind of like as my colleague sitting across from me, you know, and, and having a deep conversation with me. So
0: that's, that's so definitely, special. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank
1: God. That's awesome.
0: Who's that worst guest? <laughs> you almost did it! You almost did it! The worst
1: I've had a couple worse guests and I haven't even, I haven't put those interviews live because I just yeah. didn't put it up. So, and then also, and then honestly too, like, there was also people who I had on and, um, and listen, like, I think, I, I totally respect people's views and their yeah, political views course. and I, I think that's fine, but there were definitely some people where I had them on and then they posted some crazy stuff on social media and I was just like, I need to delete Ooh, this yeah. episode because I don't really want to be associated with someone who's posting things like that. And so there have been some moments like that, but, um, I honestly can't name anybody. Like I, I forget them. Like I don't even remember.
0: <laughs> You're like it's out of my tell you after.
1: Okay, okay. <laughs> exactly. You're like
0: after the recording. Um, tell me how you stand out. So podcasting is is it's very new for me, and I've been so blessed to again to have like the Naveen Janes on. I you know had Jordan Harbinger on not too long ago, who I just loved and adored. Awesome. He was so incredible. And again, for me, it's just about being constantly curious and really, really focusing on my guest and their story, and having our audience listen and learn. How do you stand out? Like, what's your big stand out in this in this ridiculously crowded space of podcasting?
1: You know, to be honest with you, I like ran this whole podcast agency, and um, where I'm just like, for me now, like, what I try to do is I just try to work with a very small handful of people that have podcasts that I care about and their message, you know, and so. I don't know anything about marketing anymore. I don't know anything about standing out. It's a whole game. It's very complex. It's like a whole sport. And I just like stop watching that sport, so to speak. You know, and so I think the best way I would answer that question is just like, you know, like I had this whole podcast, Humans 2.0, and I kind of didn't, I kind of lost my passion for it last year. And then I relaunched it as this podcast called Social Anxiety Society to just get even more specific. And so I think the key to standing out is like. You have to get really specific and mm-hmm. um, and kind of stand your ground and just build that real estate and understand that, like, in three, four years, that real estate is going to go up in value. So I think that's the most important thing that I would say.
0: That's great. And, and And, again, it's valuable information for me because, I mean, Mark, we talked about this. I'm super transparent, okay? I hadn't even listened to a podcast when I had started the podcast. So, like, you talk about, like you're going, I don't wanna answer that question. I was like, I, I don't even know what people talk about on podcasts, like how do you wanna have a natural conversation? It's so weird with nine million people listening to you. But I, I just think that that's an, inc- I think niching down, I think that that's really, really helpful advice. And I think that's a, a giant standout cause you're just amazing. So my last segment, I wanna talk about screw being shy, which I wanna also point out, you blew me off 14 times to focus on. <laughs> Beginning and end. I appreciate how focused you are. I appreciate your message. It's been absolutely incredible. Um, tell me about the book.
1: Yeah, so honestly, I'm a terrible writer. I got very bad grades in school when it comes to writing. Now I kind of like write every day. So I'm like, at least personally, I kind of just do it for me. But for me, I really wrote my book. I Honestly, didn't really have a choice. And the reason why I say that is because, so in 2019, you know, like my my speaking career really started to blow up uh, before freaking COVID. Um, right. <laughs> and, and basically, you know, I got invited to, to speak in like every major city in the U S basically. And what was interesting is that I get, get asked to speak on all these different things and different conferences and whatnot. And what's interesting is that every single time in every single city, the same kind of person would always walk up to me when I was finished talking. And they would always be someone, whether it was young or old, where they would kind of like be looking down. They wouldn't make eye contact with me. Maybe they would stutter, maybe they would start sweating or their face would get red and they tell me, you know, Mark, how did you go from someone who, you know, went from being debilitating, social anxiety, being shy to being a speaker and talking about yourself in front of hundreds of people confidently. And so that just happened again and 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 again. And And then I was like, you know, I started reading other books around this stuff and I was just like, wait, there's literally not a single person who has found sort of like a methodology or a path that I took that, you know, for a lot of it is, is proven based on science. And so I remember being in LA and speaking, and then the the day after, or the day of at night, I was trying to go to sleep. And like I told you, I I always faced sleeping problems my entire life, but I kind of stopped facing sleeping problems, but I'm here trying to go to sleep and I can't go to sleep. And my brain is just like literally in my head, like, screw being shy, screw being shy, screw being, like see these words while I'm trying to go to sleep. And so I just go to sleep and the next day when I'm like at breakfast at the hotel, I'm just like writing out this entire thing. And I'm just like on the flight home, my like six, seven hour flight, I just start re- just write this book. And I'm just like, you know what? Out of all the books that I could read, this one, it's probably not gonna be the greatest for like my business or other things. But I was like, this book has to be out there because there are so many other versions of my younger self who are suffering and there's really no help out there and it's very disjointed and so for me i was just like let me write this book and do it so i appreciate your patience but that's that's kind of how the book came to be it's no, kind of no, by no. accident that's, i
0: mean i and like i said i'm not i'm not i don't have a, i don't have an agenda i don't have a. I I think the most raw and real that you can be which is how you show up for everything i just i wanted to know because I hear that more and more from people. You know, I interviewed Kara Golden the other day and she said the book, mm. the same thing you did, the book was no choice. They kept getting the same questions over and over and over again. And so people were really, and she and she said the same thing, no matter what country, no matter where she was, people were asking kind of the same questions. And so, you know, I think that that's absolutely amazing. I They've asked me about writing a book and they keep asking me about it. And I'm like, I don't have any idea how I would organize my thoughts because I have so many bigger questions and they're like, just do it. <laughs> so... Who is this book for?
1: This book is for people who feel like they can't be themselves in front of other people, people who um, really have have been shy, but they don't want to be shy anymore. That's really who it's for.
0: Mark, do you have haters online? For sure. What do they say?
1: I mean, it's gotten a little bit more complex over the years, but, um, you know, it's interesting because like when you when you sort of are vulnerable, especially about the stuff, mental health and whatnot, you know, there's always like a certain percentage of people who I mean, they even have may have mental health issues themselves where, you know, they kind of just kind of leave comments like, I remember I saw this one comment, it's honestly kind of funny, it was like, um, I like this post on LinkedIn that went viral and of like my story and my mental health and stuff. And someone posted, he was like, Oh, um, went through mental health problems, still needs to post about himself to get validation from strangers or something like that. And like, there's people who always leave that. And honestly, like, there's a part of me that gets it because I remember when I was suffering and in pain i would i would dump on people all the time online like through a different username like when i was younger and so i totally get it and then sometimes hurt hurt
0: people hurt people
1: yeah and then also too like there's sometimes i don't want to get into names or anything but there's sometimes like you know some drama that happens between you know like even bigger like it doesn't really happen to me that often there's maybe one or once or twice that i can think of with like kind of like other bigger influencers that, you know, for example, like, say bad things about me behind my back, because they're trying to like win clients over and like, maybe we're in a similar business. And then people tell me and I'm just like, I've literally never talked to that, like, like what they're and so that's happened like a couple of times. So I don't have a lot of haters. But I definitely I'm sure there's a lot like a decent amount of people. And then I'm sure too, like, there's people who, you know, maybe are like resentful or something towards me, because I didn't respond to their message or because I maybe said something that they didn't agree with. I, you know, I remember at one time I posted this video on saying on how like for breakfast you should eat eggs. And there was this person who was like this plant-based animal activist who was like, how could you say that? You're murdering these chickens, you you don't deserve, like and all this stuff and it's just like, and so that's always gonna happen, you know? And so I, I just try not to take it personally.
0: For me, it's been interesting because I haven't been online near as long as you. I have not had near the influence that you've had. You're remarkable, you're you're such, it's so inspiring to watch you. But I always wonder because my team, when I get like something mean or I get something bad or I get, you know, just hateful comments or something, it really upsets my team. My team is like, I mean, literally like, they're like, ugh, you know? And I'm like, I don't necessarily think that it requires a response. Like I just want to take that person for what they are and what pain they may be feeling. If there's a way that I might be able to impact or affect the situation, I definitely will reach out. But as a whole, just to be mean and then to respond, I just don't have any desire to do it. So I was you're you're a lot younger and you're a lot wiser online. So I was wondering how you dealt with it and kind of what it did for you and your heart and your head.
1: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And, and like, for example, one of the things that I do today is like I help all kinds of different people through like, you know, mental health and social anxiety. And there's people who I work with who are way bigger creators. They have like 6 million followers. They're doing crazy stuff. Like for people at that level, like I don't even recommend for them to even read their comments or messages because Once you get to a certain level, I don't necessarily think I'm there yet. Maybe in some moments of time, you just really shouldn't read it. And I think also, like, if you have a team that does that, like, I also think you need to, like, sort of train them too. And, um, you know, so like, for example, like the project I'm working on right now, is like, I'm in the middle of like writing this book that's all about like how food and your mental health impact each other. Because again, people keep asking me that the next book I'm going to write after that, is how to deal with social media and like mental health and anxiety, because that's like a huge topic that, you know, I think I've had like over 10 years of experience with. And honestly, like what's funny is that I actually used to receive more hate when I was younger online as like a little kid on my YouTube channel than I do now. And so so I've kind of built some thick skin and maybe that's because of social anxiety, but it honestly definitely still messes me up for sure sometimes. So it's definitely, it's a problem for sure. And there's different ways to deal with it. And there are some times too, where like, you know, I think you have to have boundaries, you know? So for me on the weekends, I literally don't even check my social media. There's different boundaries that you have, like past like seven or 8 PM. I don't check my social media. I don't check any messages, any email, like I don't do any of that. And so there's just certain things that you learn also as a person, as you go through the journey of like what you need to do for yourself in terms of boundaries and what you need to do to learn to best position yourself. But. You know it's always gonna happen you know so that 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 part of it kind of sucks but you know i'm trying to figure it out so if i if i I can figure out an answer i'll let you know
0: mark we like to end our conversation with one last question and that obviously the show is about obstacles into opportunities what is your biggest obstacle that you've been able to turn into an opportunity
1: uh man probably just my life
0: Just that, only that. Uh, yeah, that,
1: <laughs> That's all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Like, I feel like there's so many obstacles from health, me- physical, mental health. You know, being poor, bullying, discriminated against. You know, like it, it's kind of crazy because I remember maybe we felt the same way, but I, I like truly like when I was 18 and, and every year since then, before then rather, and even when I was 19, 20. I just straight up thought that i would just like work at mcdonald's for the rest of my life like i literally just think that i thought that i didn't want anybody to know who i was i didn't think i was capable of anything and so it's just kind of crazy to kind of look at my life and the person who i used to be which is i literally had no friends nobody liked me to then go to a spot where you know like people recognize like sometimes people recognize me in public and it's like freaking blows my mind and i get invited to like do all these different things um with people who i respect you know, and so I don't know. There's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of successes. I'll tell you the, the biggest mistake that I've made recently. So when I was younger, I used to collect all these Pokemon cards, okay? And I think when I was about 20 or 19, I took all my Pokemon cards and I sold them on Facebook marketplace or whatever for like 500 bucks. I like literally realized that I had like three cards that today sell for like a quarter million dollars, and I don't have it. I'm just like, yeah. So like, I don't know. That's kind of random. There's, I don't know why there's just like a random Pokemon card on my desk. I don't know. I don't know who put it there. That's not usually like that. But <laughs> yeah, I I don't like, know. Hey, I got yeah, there. Go. So, Let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Mark, this has been just absolutely so much fun and I hope we get to do it again really soon. How do our listeners find you?
1: The best place is if they go to my website, which is just my first and last name dot com, dot com. And really the best place is um, you know, if people go there, they'll see an email inbox. And if people put their email in there, basically every week I send out one to two purely educational articles and newsletters all about this stuff and then if people get one of those emails and they respond to it it'll go directly to me and I always respond to all of those emails so people are free to reach out to me I try my best to be very open uh, hopefully it takes some you know a little less time to reach out to me than than for you to me and then people can check out my book my podcast everything is on there so yes yeah, and we'll this link all of that we'll, we'll
0: link oh yeah absolutely we'll link everything in the show notes so people know how to grab your book and how to reach out to you for speaking engagements, and this has just been such a pleasure, Mark. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Stephanie, this was awesome. Thank you for making this platform and having me on.
0: Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. Also, head over to YouTube to check out all of the live videos on our new podcast channel, Spin It with Stephanie Malik. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S T E P H Y N I E Malik, M A L I K. Or visit my website at stephaniemalek.com